Welcome to Mindset Reset Radio, where we're on a mission to help millennials get intentional in life, business, and career with practical advice and real stories of living with intention, the good, the bad, and lots of the ugly. I'm your host, Jess, and my goal is to flip your perspective on what's possible with the help of the amazing intention getters I get to have as guests. Join my community on Instagram, at Jessica Thiefels, so we can keep these conversations going while supporting one another to stay intentional every day. And finally, if you love this podcast, please subscribe, share, and review. I would greatly appreciate it. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Mindset Reset Radio. I'm so excited you're here today because we have a truly inspirational guest. Diana Woodruff is actually someone that I met on LinkedIn. Um, I saw one of her posts, which is actually exactly what we're going to talk about today. And I loved what she was saying. And she basically said that despite quarantine uh, challenges, she had been living with intention prior to all this happening. And doing so had really helped her feel more centered and focused right now, despite the craziness and the stress, rather than feeling anxious and sort of all over the place or, or freaking out. So I wanted to bring her on to share with us um, about the things that she did to live with intention prior to what's happening now so that she could have more clarity as she worked through these challenges. So welcome, Diana. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jessica. Of course. So first, before we jump in, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Diana Woodruff, and I am in Phoenix, Arizona. And previously, I was wholesaling luxury cars to car dealerships, to car franchises across the nation. And I've had a lot of different backgrounds and different uh, job roles that I've definitely held. So mostly revolving around sales. Um, After being in a couple salaried positions, I realized very quickly that uh, I actually wanted to be compensated for my performance and my work ethic. So that's why I found my home in sales. And that's where I've been ever since. Awesome. Sales. That is not something that many of us do well. So that's (laughs) great to hear. It's a skill of yours. I'm sure it adds value to every area of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Great. Well, you know what? Let's just jump right in because I feel like there's so much for us to talk about and I want to make sure we get to everything. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to literally read through your posts, bullet, basically point by point, And I want you to tell us sort of what happened, how you did that, um, what strategies you used. So let's start with the first one. So in her LinkedIn post, first of all, it says, I made financial decisions over the last five years that were different from most. And that's what's helped her find more certainty and sort of less anxiety during this time. So the first choice that you made was to buy a car that you could afford, paid in cash, rather than one you could simply afford monthly payments on. Now, tell us the importance of that in terms of being intentional with our money. So the, the way that all of that came about was in 2008, I was a junior in high school and I watched my parents go through that incredibly terrible recession. Mm. Um, and my parents lost everything. Their home got repossessed. Um, pretty much they just lost everything and started over from square one. And that made such a lasting impact on me that 
I need to be prepared for whatever might come, whether it be another recession or whatever next major financial disaster might happen. I just always told myself, I refuse to let my, my kids go through what I had to go through my junior year of high school. And so that really just made a lasting impact. And I became very intentional from that point forward that you know, as much as I could, I was not going to finance anything um, other than obviously a home and, and maybe education if I couldn't get scholarships. So I, uh, I started reading books. I started getting really intentional about that. And one of the first things I read in a book was that cars are the worst purchase you can make because it's mm-hmm. the most expensive purchase that you make. And it's the only one that depreciates in value from the minute that you buy it. Yep. Amazing. So you just said, I'm not going to deal with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And I saw a lot of my friends, you know, buy fancy cars and ones that they could afford the monthly payments on. And that just wasn't something that, that attracted me. I was more excited about having money in my bank account than I was about what kind of car I was going to drive. And I remember meeting a gentleman um, when I was fresh out of college and we sat down to talk and he said, you know, well, he looked at my car and he looked at his car and he said, you know, well, why should I be taking any advice from you? It looks like I'm probably doing better than you financially. And I said, you know what, honestly, I have the same car as you. But the difference is that mine is currently sitting in an investment account making money and yours is in the parking lot right there, depreciating in value. Dang, good for you. And that is so powerful. Holy, how did he respond? Oh, he, he didn't have much to say after that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty straight shooter. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. So yeah, so really, I suppose the lesson in that one is is think about where you're putting your money and making sure that it's an investment that is going to be worthwhile in the long term and not screw you over in the case of a recession or something of the like. Mm-hmm. We just get so busy trying to put on a facade for other people where we drive cars that we truly can't afford and we buy homes that we can't afford either. And really the reality is, is it's, it's just not worth becoming house broke or car broke when there are so many other ways that you could be utilizing your money to actually grow it so that in the future, you can cash buy a car that you want of your choice. And that's, that's really the intention behind it is so many people finance these cars and you know, if you pay it at a 16% interest rate, a $20,000 car, you end up paying for literally like you could have bought a Jeep, whereas you're really kind of stuck with the Honda Civic. <laughs> so right. by the time you pay the interest on it, you could have bought a totally different car. Right. I love that. And it's just, and you know what? I, I really like that too, because I feel like that's something that I don't hear people talking a lot about is like where you're spending your money in terms of buying a car or, you know, a vehicle. So I feel like this is a really good one for us all to take in, you know, like really think about where that money is going and get intentional about setting yourself up for success looking ahead. So when you're in a moment like this, like we're in COVID and and so many people are struggling to get by, if you've made that wise financial decision previous, you're going to be feeling likely a little less stressed out. Absolutely. Yeah. My month to month living costs are very, very low because I don't have a lot of monthly payments on anything. I love that. So that's a perfect way to ease right into the next point was I chose to diligently stick to a monthly budget and only go out to eat once a week. This is something I feel like is so hard for people to stick to a monthly budget, keep themselves from going out all the time. I mean, not right now, but (laughs) in normal life. Tell us about your strategies for budgeting because 
I feel like that's really powerful for getting intentional with money. For my husband and I, um, I started sticking to a monthly budget before I met my husband. We've been married for almost seven years. And I stuck diligently to a budget simply because at the beginning, I didn't even have any money to go eat out. So mm-hmm. it was already um, a point when I was a student that I couldn't spend money that I didn't have in the first place. Right. Right. So, so that was a very intentional process of like, as soon as I started making that transition and getting paid, I made sure to, to if I wanted, I have a monthly budget. And so if I prefer, then I could use that monthly budget maybe to eat out a couple times a week, but it's going to be the same amount as if I would have actually just gone and had like a formal meal somewhere else. So it's about the dollar amount that you're spending, not about the number of times you go out to eat. Mm. So we could go out to eat and my husband and I could drop $200 in one tab if we're going to decide to buy alcohol at a nice fancy bar, going out to eat with a nice meal versus... If we're just going to decide, hey, Taco Bell's maybe our favorite place to eat and we're going to eat things off the dollar menu. And now we could eat Taco Bell eight times if we wanted to this month instead of only going out once, once a month to eat or once a week. So it's not necessarily about the number of times. It's about how far within your means are you living. It needs to be a dollar amount and you need to stick to the dollar amount. And then if we get towards the end of the month and we have some extra money in that budget area then in that case, then we go ahead and we like spend the rest of it by going out to eat and maybe getting a couple drinks or whatnot. But I think that's the main purpose. So for me and my husband, it happens to be once a week because we like the same restaurants. <laughs> we eat the same thing pretty much uh, every time we go out to eat, but it just needs to be a monthly budget that people stick to. And the reality is, is that uh, the way that we got intentional about that is by meal prepping mm. and then by sticking to a grocery budget as well. And by holding each other accountable, because it's very, very easy to go out to eat and to spend money uh, justifying doing it because you're too busy to make a meal. Right. And that's just not acceptable. And I think it's really easy for everybody to justify why we do what we do. And I call it self-justification. But the reality is, is that we make those decisions and those are intentional decisions. So we just have to be willing to either meal prep buy some things from Walmart that are very quick and easy that you can make. But whatever it might be, we have to set ourselves up in a position to win because I know for sure if I go to my pantry and my fridge and there's nothing to eat, it's so much easier to justify breaking that rule and going and grabbing something really quickly. Right. And I, I love you how you explain that because it shows that creating a budget is about so much more than putting numbers in a spreadsheet. It's really about looking at the way that you live life and the way that you set yourself up for success. So instead of just saying we have X amount of money for going out to eat, it's like, oh, but we also have X amount of money for groceries and we need to make sure we have food in the house so we don't go out, we aren't tempted to go out to eat. So it's that whole mindset shift around it, not just I'm restricted to only spending this much money. You know, I feel like there's um, this sort of feels like an abundance based way of looking at your budget and more of like a lack way of looking at your budget, I guess. Um, Yeah. It's really freeing to live within a budget. And I know that that sounds so, you know, whatever it might be paradoxical or whatnot, but it really is freeing because I never have to guess. Mm. I just know, I know how much money I have every month for different things. And it's nice because 
then when I'm left with that little bit of extra, it's like, great, what can I go and do with this? This is exciting. So it's, it's much more liberating living within a budget than it is living outside of a budget and having to, to guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cause exactly. That's stressful. And then you're overspending every month and you're stressed because you're overspending and you don't know why you can't save. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So sticking to a monthly budget, powerful during COVID and important, super important to do in life in general. Let's see the next one. I chose to read at least one business or finance book every month to improve myself personally and professionally. I love this. Reading is such a simple way for us to grow and learn and pick up new ideas. Um, tell us, tell us how this came about. <clears throat> my in two thousand and eight, when my parents went through that recession, mm-hmm. it made that much of an impact on me that I went to Google my junior year of high school and I googled how to get rich mm-hmm. because I I just assumed I'm like, wouldn't everybody choose to be rich if they could? So why are some people rich and my family's broke? You know, and so when I looked up online, this guy named Robert Kiyosaki came up and, and you know, I'm not like advocating for him or whatnot, but this is just my story. He was the first one who came up and he wrote this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. And it's been a pillar in the business world. You know, anyone who's looked into any sort of finance or business has probably heard of his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read that book. And I got so, so specific about taking into consideration what he said. And the main thing that he talks about is that developing wealth and like being good with your money, all it is is a different mindset and mentality. And I said, you know what, if I'm planning on going to college and college is so important because it teaches you a different mindset or mentality in a certain area, I need to do the same thing with my finances. So I started getting a lot of free books online because I didn't have any money. And you know, that's, that's something that really kind of bothers me. There was people that commented on my post and you know, said, Hey, that's so great that you're privileged. A lot of people don't have the same privileges as you. Hmm. And the reality is, is that if you have access to the internet and you're either listening to this podcast or you were, had the ability to comment on my post, you are privileged as well. Hmm. Because there are other countries, my husband does mission trips to Africa, where they don't have computers. They don't have the ability to get financially literate because they don't have the ability to have access to the information that we have that is free and that is all over the internet. And so the best example that I can really give for this is that I was an athlete growing up and I am five foot, maybe 105 pounds, it never played in my favor once. Right. And I remember my coach pulling me aside and he said, look, if you want to play in college, here's the reality. He's like, your, your height and your weight is out of your control. But he's like, but you can control your attitude and your work ethic. Mm -hmm. So you just have to make up in your attitude and your work ethic, what you lack in physical stature. And I took that and moved it over to, you know, the, the knowledge realm. I didn't start off with any money. I had to physically support some of my, my sisters and my parents um, at really difficult times. So I didn't start off in the best financial space at all, but I knew what I could control was the speed of growth in my mindset from accessing financial books and things online. So I started reading and I didn't let it be an excuse that I was too busy. Um, I stayed up hours and hours at night reading things on the internet and trying to figure out what's true and what's not. 
And then I just realized that I needed a coach, just like I needed a coach in volleyball. I needed a coach in the business world. Mm. So I started to, you know, ask around and figure out how I could meet a coach. And, uh, and I was looking and I didn't find one for a couple of years until my junior year of college. And then I ended up meeting a woman who I really admired and respected who owned a couple of successful companies. And I worked hard to build a relationship with her. And then eventually she actually started coaching me in the business world. Wow. That's amazing. Good for you. There's so much willpower and strength in what you're saying to us. And I just feel like it's making me feel more empowered. So <laughs> thank you for sharing all these stories. This is incredible. I feel like there's so much I want to ask. I think I'll start with, you said Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the first book that you came upon, which yes, is a huge book in the business and finance world. If you're an entrepreneur, you've heard of it. If you, if you haven't read it yet, you've at least heard of it. What might be one or two other books that you have been really inspirational to you or really valuable to your mindset and financial growth? It's so interesting because people would expect it to be a financial answer, like a specific financial book, but it's actually way more about self-growth in certain areas that you need to grow in. So for example, for myself, I had such a dictator mentality, a dominant personality. I am an Aries. I am a choleric. I tell it how it is. I probably should have been a sergeant in the military. So you know, I had to learn that what was holding me back financially was actually my people skills. Mm. Because I, I burned the bridges of not being able to relate to certain people. So I lacked those communication skills and that, that side of me that needed to have empathy, that needed to have patience, that needed to slow down when they speak. And so for myself, the two most influential books that I've read that have made a difference for me have been Personality Plus. Because then I figured out why I operate the way that I do and why everyone else operates the way that they do. So it made it better for me to learn how to have empathy. Um, and then the other book that I read that made such a difference is called Crucial Conversations. And that book talks a lot about um, being able to be transparent with people and being able to solve conversations in a way where you're not attacking. Because that was my natural just my natural God-given personality is, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to tell it how it is. And that doesn't serve you well in corporate and it doesn't serve you well in the business world. So those were the two biggest things that would hold me back financially is I just had to work on myself personally um, to be able to, to be self-aware, to fix those quirks and those things that I needed help with. And that's actually what's going to move you forward financially. Absolutely. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I feel like I actually need to read a few of those because I tend to have a pretty um, abrasive and forward personality as well, which has not boded well for me for much of my life. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. I love all of this. Let's move on. We have two more. The next one is I gave every penny of extra money we had to our financial advisor to invest for us. I have a financial advisor as well, and my husband really does the finance stuff because I'm I'm the writer, I'm the word person, and he's the number person. Um, so he usually like nerds out with our financial advisor, but I feel so much better having someone. We mm -hmm. always know there's someone we can go to with questions and making sure that we're making really smart financial decisions for our future. So tell me about your experience with a financial advisor and, and what you like about working with them and, and how it's helped you. 
Absolutely. The quote that comes to my mind is you can do anything that you want in life, but you can't do everything. Mm. So as much as I would love to learn everything about stocks and investments and this and that, the reality is, is that this person has dedicated their life calling to doing this. There is way too much information for you and I to comprehend unless we are also going to school for that and have a career in that. So give the money to the professionals. They are mutually incentivized because they have the same financial vested interest in your money that you do because the more they grow it, then the higher percentage that they get to keep typically is how it works. And so the two pieces of advice that I have, and again, this is, um, I'm not a financial advisor, but this is my perspective. If you don't currently have a financial advisor, the first and most important thing is that it's someone you trust. Mm. So you have to develop trust if you're going to be giving somebody your money, right? I would not choose someone random that you just randomly met on LinkedIn unless you (laughs) have started to develop that relationship. So that's the most important thing is is to trust them really with your life because your money is also your life. (laughs) And then the second aspect is that if you're new and you're looking for a financial advisor, something to be mindful of is that if you're going to use a large firm, they are incentivized to hit certain buckets and certain categories. So they may potentially try to sell you something that you don't necessarily need, a service that you don't necessarily need because it might hit one of their buckets for them to get compensated or paid on something. So that's just something to keep in mind is that that's not always the case, but I typically stick with smaller financial advising firms because they don't have those quotas that they're required to hit. So I always know that they're going to genuinely have the best interest in mind for myself and not for their own personal commission. So once I developed a really good relationship um, with my financial advisor, I chose to start um, having an automatic payment plan that would pull money from my account every month. And then anything that's left over, he shoots me a quick text and just says, hey, it's the last day of the month. Anything else you want me to pull? Right. So then he has the ability to pull stuff from my bank account. Um, so that I'm not tempted to spend it. Mm-hmm. That's so easy to do is to look in that bank account and say, oh, hey, I've got an extra grand. Let's go buy a TV, right? Or something simple. I have an extra 50 bucks. Let's go buy a pair of shoes. So if I have everything that I need, there's a major difference between buying things because you need them versus buying things because the money's there. Mm. And if you're a buying things because the money's there type of person, then you need a financial advisor that's willing to keep you accountable that works out whatever system works for you. And for me, that's the system that works. We have an automated plan that pulls out um, a certain amount of thousands of dollars each month to go into the investment portfolio account. And then at the end of the month, he texts me and I tell him how much to pull out at the end of the month as well. Yeah, I think it's really important as well to do the automated polling throughout the month, like whatever amount you decided, because I feel like that's even the harder part is seeing the amount of money and being like, oh, but I could do this with that, or I want to do this or that, and just having it happen without you having to choose, um, or without you even having to remember, um, I feel like is a really important piece of that, of, of making it work and not getting caught up in not having that money right here and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I love having a financial advisor, and I definitely recommend anybody listening to this even if you don't have a lot of money to save right now or a lot of money to invest, a great financial advisor is just going to start first and foremost with making sure your foundation is in place. So like checking in on things like 
insurance and life insurance and uh, your 401k and like making sure that those those baseline things are all in place for you. So when you do get to a place where you can be saving more or investing more, you know that your bases are covered. So I, yeah, I highly recommend a financial advisor as well. Okay, last one. And this one I'm really excited to hear about. I chose to get serious about building a couple other streams of income, not as a hobby, but as a legitimate replacement for my income to repair, prepare for the next recession. So tell me, what are, the, what are the income streams that you have going? How did you find them and get started with them? I, I feel like this is something we all want to know more about. Absolutely. It's so, so vitally important that in one way or another, you're making money without an employer. Mm. So I am the biggest advocate for corporate because... I have climbed the corporate ladder very, very quickly. And so is my husband because we have a strong work ethic and because we picked industries that we knew we could, um, that we could really excel in. So I'm a huge advocate for you doing well in corporate because the reality is if you don't do well in corporate, it's going to be really hard to implement anything that we talk about on the side if you're too busy worrying about your monthly bills. Right. So do well in that arena. But also on this side, you need to start some sort of a business where your employment or your money and your ability to make money is completely independent from anybody else. And it's only based on you and your work ethic and, and how much time that you want to put into it. So for myself and for most people out there, I recommend starting an online company. What kind of an online company? I don't care, right? Whatever, whatever floats your boat. But the reality is, is that if you run an online company, you have the ability to keep your career and to make that your main priority, but then at least have another business that you have the ability to grow from your cell phone. Mm. And in that case, you know, especially with women who have children or parents at home, you can do it when your kids go to bed. You can invest time into it whenever is convenient for you. And don't underestimate the power of putting in just 30 minutes a day. And we can all prioritize 30 minutes a day. It's just about prioritizing it, right? So for myself, I just said, you know, I watched this epidemic of people. We, we have an epidemic of people in the world who are starters, but not finishers. Mm -hmm. And we expect to like start a business and all of a sudden make a ton of money your first year in business. And that is not how a business works. And so if that's the expectation, then you need to go back to point number three or four or whatever it was to start reading some financial books to understand that whatever you're going to build as a business, it's going to probably take a couple of years to get it off the ground. The point is not to be profitable right away because that's what your corporate salary is for. Right. Right. But you invest time and you invest a little bit of money, which is why we chose to, to run an online company because then it's the most affordable means that we could possibly invest in with the lowest capital and the lowest overhead where my husband and I probably spend maybe only 174 bucks a month running our businesses online, right? So it's a pretty stable overhead, but with the same potential for profit and growth as a traditional brick and mortar business. But we just don't have all the restrictions of location or of times like this in a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that's what I would recommend is anyone who's on here, start some sort of a business regardless of what it is. Um, I 
am not a fan specifically of people saying that you should only do what you're passionate about because sometimes what you're passionate about is not going to actually bring in money. Hmm. So my passion is foster children and refugees and immigrants. I want to start nonprofits for those categories of people. However, that does not make money. That costs money. And it also (laughs) takes time. So what I chose to do was build a couple online companies that I knew would be recession-proof. And so I built those not because I'm passionate about them, but because I knew that they would work. And then I had a five-year expectation And I built those side hustles or those side businesses or those side streams of income for the last five or six years. And now my husband and I are to a point where we can fully sustain and pay for our our expenses with our business income. So it's a really great place to be knowing that, hey, if we happen to to lose our jobs, that we at least still are, are replacing our living expenses with our business income. And at, at some point in time, once you actually develop enough income coming in from whatever business that you've chosen, now you've gotten enough money and time to go and pursue your passion. But sometimes people try to do it the opposite way around and it doesn't end up working out, right? So that's why I've always been a fan of doing things that work first and then having the discipline to do that. And then once you scale that over 5, 10 years, whatever it might be, now you have the time and money to go and fully fund and pursue whatever your passion might potentially be. Yeah, I like that perspective shift a lot because, yeah, most people think passion first, but it makes total sense to, again, set yourself up with a foundation that will support you to pursue your passions later. Like you said, building, you know, starting nonprofits or something where you're going to need a lot of upfront money. What businesses do you run? What's your online business? My husband and I, we run, um, essentially, we run a business to do a lot with consumables. So anything that's a consumer-based item that would be in the health, nutrition, home care, pretty much anything that you could buy from Walmart, minus like fresh fruits and vegetables. But we're just a middleman for a lot of bigger companies like that. Hmm. So that's like one aspect of what we do. And then the other aspect of what we do is a lot of coaching like this. Because it doesn't do any good to run a business if you're not getting the proper mindset, leadership, and coaching. Because then your business isn't really actually going to grow. You Mm -hmm. could have the best product in the world, but if you don't specifically have the right coaching or the right guidance and mindset, then your company is always going to hit a standstill at some point, whether it be because of a business problem or whether it be because of a a personal mindset problem. Because Mm -hmm. we don't know what we don't know. So we need somebody else to be able to come in and help us out with that and to hold us accountable. Because the the biggest um, issue that I see with young people today is shiny object syndrome, Hmm. right? They start one business and then they see somebody else doing a different business and they're like, oh, that looks super cool. So then they quit whatever business they're doing, they hop on that one. And then the same thing happens four or five months later. And it's like, if you do that in college with your major all you end up with is a bunch of debt and still no degree. Right. Yep. That's a great point. I love that. Oh, there was something else I was going to say and I can't remember. Um, Oh, well, we'll move on. This has been so incredible. Tell us, I know uh, with COVID, did you tell me that you had been laid off after um, COVID happened? Yep. Yep. I, uh, it's, it's very funny. I made that post and I got laid off two days later. (laughs) Oh, that's, I mean, it's kind of like the universe saying like, 
you got this, you're going to be okay. I feel like <laughs> yeah, it, it was a long time coming. I, I obviously, um, I knew that it was going to come. The car industry was not doing well when all anyone's buying is toilet paper right now. So, <laughs> so are you re relying pretty heavily right now on that online business or, um, have you picked up some other work elsewhere or how are you getting intentional financially right now? Yeah, I haven't had um, any other source of income corporate wise. So yeah, I've just solely been relying on my business income, but it's not only, I just don't want people to get confused that like that's the only income that we rely on mm -hmm. because we have other investments that we've made with our financial advisor that that grows our income as well. Right. Right. So it's not just, oh, we have one way of making money outside of our jobs, but I also don't have seven ways of making money outside of my mm -hmm. job because then you stretch yourself too thin where if you try to chase more than one rabbit, most of them get away. Right. right. So you can only really focus on whatever your bandwidth is to, to build. So um, for my husband and I, yeah, we, we don't right now have a source of income outside of my corporate career. And the biggest blessing in reality was that so many people were waking up every morning dreading the dreaded email that was going to come in that says, hey, you no longer have a job. Mm -hmm. And I got the email that morning and I looked at it and like, my, I honestly got really teary-eyed and I looked at my husband and I was like, it is really, really neat that I can look at this email and not even bat an eye and know that like we're going to be completely fine financially and that I'm not going to have to scramble for something else. And I can really find something that's going to be a good fit. And that's like the benefit of what I've done the last five years though. And that's what I really want people to understand is that, you know, the post is not intended to brag during a time like this. It's intended to say, hey, look, like I paid my dues and I paid my price and I made my sacrifices for the last five or six years. And now it's come to a point where I get to reap the rewards of all of the effort and the sacrifices that I made right now because I dug my well before I'm thirsty. I like that because I dug my well before I'm thirsty. That's brilliant. And, and yes, and it doesn't, to me at least, it doesn't come off as braggy. I think it comes off as being really valuable for other people to see like, you know, I don't have to be making a lot of money to be comfortable right now. I could be setting my, you know, I could have done little things to set myself up and maintain a simple budget and that might help my anxiety. So I'm really grateful you put this out there because I know it helped a lot of people, especially our listeners today. So I guess my last question for you is... What is your current intention getter story? What are you working toward with intention right now? You know, it's funny because a lot of people would expect me to have this humongous, massive goal. <laughs> and the reality is, is that I've always just sang that mantra of like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm -hmm. So if I'm not necessarily going to be making massive strides right now, just due to some things with COVID, and I feel like everyone can relate where we've all had to change a couple of things based on COVID, regardless of how drastic it's been or how, how smoothly the transition has been for some people. So for me, it's about maintaining, right? And it's okay to not feel like you're going to make all of these massive goals right now. So my true goal is to consistently maintain what I've been doing over the course of the last five or six years right? Because it, it becomes so easy to fall into a different routine, if you will, or to let your routine slide when your schedule changes. Mm -hmm. So I no longer have that, that structured routine for my corporate job. So now instead though, 
I have to pretend like I do and I have to keep that routine and instead fill it with the things that are going to be important, like applying for jobs and then building my company. So really the reality is for me right now, what I'm intentional about is I'm intentional about keeping my structured routine. And as long as we do that, our bandwidth is going to grow. So I know my bandwidth is growing day by day. And by default, I'm getting 1% better. I'm not trying to change the world this month. I'm just trying to get 1% better than I was. And that might potentially just be right now maintaining a routine that might be hard to maintain in a pandemic or in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Yep. So powerful because living with intention doesn't mean going after the biggest, craziest things all the time. It just means making a plan, seeing your plan and holding yourself accountable to choosing that thing that you know you need to be working toward. And that thing can, like you said, can simply be maintaining what you've been building. Um, because we're not always going to be moving through these incredible moments and these big ahas and, and making all this money every single second of the day. We're going to go through periods where maybe maintenance mode is what we're getting intentional about. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I say that because I know a lot of us put a lot of pressure on ourselves, especially during COVID. I know so many people, there's a lot of conversation around productivity and we don't have to be productive in the traditional sense at all times. Sometimes what we need is that slower time to catch up, to maintain, to rebuild, to recharge. So I think that's a really powerful thing to be working toward with intention. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, no problem. Okay. So where can people connect with you? outside of this podcast? LinkedIn is the best way and the most efficient way because that's where I'll be posting any content that people might potentially want to follow. So it's just Diana Woodruff and I'm sure you'll be, you'll be tagging that in there. Yes. So everyone can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, also feel free to shoot me a message because that's really the best way. I see so many people take that first step of like, hey, I'm going to send a connection request to someone but what good does that do if you don't actually follow through or implement something, Mm -hmm. right? So whoever you're going to send a connection request to be bold, send them a message and say, Hey, you know, either I watched your podcast or I read a piece of your content. This is what resonated with me. And this is like what I'm hoping to, to build out of a connection with you. I love that. Getting intentional, even with something as simple as a, a LinkedIn request. And you guys can all start by doing that with Diana. <laughs> you can message her and get intentional in your message with, that you send to her. Great. Is there any last words of wisdom you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah. The last words of wisdom is stop playing the comparison game. Mm. Stay in your own lane. I do not have children yet. So I don't want women with three children looking at my schedule and my productivity levels and comparing their life to my life. Because if you measure a fish's success on their ability to climb a tree, then the fish is going to grow up thinking that they're stupid or that they're unproductive. When the reality is, is that they just have different strengths and different areas. So that's really what I want to leave people with is stay in your own lane, keep your blinders on. Don't compare. The only person you really should be competing with is just yesterday's you to today's you. Beautiful. Perfect, perfect last bit of advice. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in again today. And I'm sure we'll be talking again soon.